My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Good morning. This is Pastor Lane Jones from the Beacon of Hope broadcast, and thought it would be Thanksgiving week that it'd be good to let you hear from um, Mike Pelletier. He's an evangelist. He's been a good friend of, of myself and of our ministry for a number of years, and God's been using him even again this week at our church. And um, I know, Mike, you've been through a lot um, these last probably three years, specifically with uh, some health issues and challenges that have been going on with specifically with your wife. And um, I know that when we come into Thanksgiving and, and, of course, Christmas right around the corner after that, a lot of times people will struggle with being thankful at this time of the year. And so why don't you just give a little update as to what's going on in your um, wife's health needs and, and uh, kind of take it from there as far as being thankful. Well, the my wife has been sick for about four years now. She got sick on a mission trip of all things, serving the Lord of all things. And uh, on that mission trip, she got bacteria in her lungs. And as a result, she's been unable to travel for four years now. And she's constantly in pain and constantly um, hurting. But you know, my wife is one of the happiest people on planet Earth. And what she's learned is that this terrible thing that has happened in her life really has been a great blessing. She's not even pretending. And uh, not long ago, Brother Lane, she said to me, why does God love me so much? And most people would say, why does God hate me so much? But she says, why does God love me so much? And of course, I told her, well, God doesn't love you. God loves me. But uh, anyway, we kid around about that. But she's very sick, but she's very, very happy. So uh, Yeah, and how do you yeah. do that, Mike? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people when they, and, and she's got pain issues as well going on with yeah, the sickness. Is that yeah. correct? Her throat is constantly burning. Her legs are aching. Sometimes it's... Uh, it's pretty intense, <laughs> yes. And you've tried a number of things, right? It's not like you've been sitting back right, uh, doing nothing. Been to every doctor in the country almost, so. Yeah, so um, when, and, and this is obviously not just affecting her, it affects you too as her husband. You love her and, and you hate to see her going through this. Yeah. So uh, what, what, what are you hanging on to when you consider being a thankful Christian and being grateful for God's goodness? How do you, how do you balance that? Well, um, when some things happen in our lives that we don't understand, what I've chosen to do, and it's not a foolish thing, it's just what I know to be the best thing, and not only the best thing, but what is true. I, I don't look at what I don't understand. I, I look at what I, I know. And I don't understand why God allows everything in my life, but I know that God cannot do me wrong, and he wouldn't do me wrong if he could do me wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, like my wife has said the other day even, I think that God gave me a gift in letting me get sick. And she's not uh, she's not uh, uh, struggling mentally. She she is strong spiritually, and she really looks at it as a gift because she's been able to know things about God she would have never known if she hadn't gone through this. And she's not just making it up. Mm. She really looks at it as a gift. Amen. And she's uh, been able to be used by God to help people in special ways because. Uh, of what she's gone through, she's helping other people, mm -hmm. and she has more opportunity 
And she actually said, everybody's nice to me. Well, before they were nice to her, but now <laughs> they're extra nice to her. So anyway, she sees this as a blessing, and it really has been. I mean, I want her to get better, mm-hmm. but I'm very content with what God does because I know that God loves her, God loves me, and I can be uh, thankful because I know God is involved doing good things through this. Right. So, okay, now you're you're the healthy one, and I've often told people, you know, couples that, that love each other, other, that um, sometimes the healthy ones can suffer either, even more than the sick one because, first of all, you 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 just fervently desire for your loved one to feel better, and I know that there's got to be times when you feel just powerless to help her, and and um, and so uh, also uh, uh, you know the 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 blessing we as Christians have when we know that when when we get to be in the Lord's presence that that uh, the pain and suffering are no longer. But how do you handle it um, as the as the healthy one in the relationship and how do you maintain a thankful spirit in your heart Uh, by looking at what i know to be true Mm. i know what is true about god and i know that i love my wife with all of my heart Mm. but i know that god loves my wife even more than i love my wife and so looking at what i know to be true and that's what keeps me level-headed and grateful in my heart that god is not making a mistake now, there were times I pray for her, and I was praying, Lord, heal my wife. God, heal my wife. I know you can. It's a light thing for you. And why aren't you doing it? And what good is there in this? And, of course, I had those moments. But then I finally realized something, and I'm not making it up. I'm not just trying to be um, right and in line with what people expect of me. Mm. It doesn't matter when... Um, you get down to the the reality of life, what people think about you, what really matters is what is true. Mm. And so what is true to me is God is good and he is not going to mess up my wife's life. He'll do a better job with her life than I ever would. So I pray, God, heal my wife, but don't listen to me. You do what you know is best for her and for her eternal joy. And I trust God mm. with my wife to do a better job with her life than I ever would. Mm. Amen. So do you have any um, scriptures that maybe you could share with someone who might be in uh, a similar situation where where they've had some kind of a tragedy or an ongoing uh, problem and they're looking at Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday and, and just something that might bring them encouragement, something that they could hang on to that would cause them to, to say, yes, I, I can be thankful. Even though I'm in a trial and a problem, I can still be thankful this Thanksgiving. Well, I'll run a few thoughts through your mind. If I, I'll just uh, share some things. Um, and kind of a series of thoughts I have here. Mm. But one is, um, I looked at Romans uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, and it says that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to His purpose. And I wonder if that's really true. And I searched it through because I was baffled by what was happening in our lives. And after this, just looking in the Scripture, I'm confident that it is true. 
So hang on to the fact that God has this promise that he's given to us, that as long as we stay in love with God instead of getting bitter at God, he's going to work this out for our good. And he's not doing this to hurt us. He's doing it to build us and make our life more meaningful than it would ever be if we didn't go through these trials. He's revealing things to us about himself that we'd never know. And I'm not just being fluffy. I believe it. Mm -hmm. I've experienced it. And if you could meet my wife, she's the prettiest thing you've ever seen on a scooter. She can't get around very well, so she has to use an electric scooter. But she is the prettiest little thing you've ever seen on a red scooter. And she is so happy. And uh, people will say many times, you just glow. And she's not pretending. And it's not makeup. It's on the inside coming out mm-hmm. on her face and on her smile. So the Bible says in Psalm 107, Oh, that men would praise the Lord Mm. for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Mm. And that's in verse 8. Then verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And it goes on and says that again in verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord, not get upset with him, not Mm. be mad at him, not just question him, but praise the Lord for his goodness. And it says it again in the exact way in verse 31, Psalm 107, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. And you get the idea that God wants us to praise him. Um, My life has uh, been a chain of blessings. Uh, When I was a boy, my father actually took his life. And uh, that was not an easy thing. I'm not saying that's a blessing, but I saw God step in Mm. and bring in other men into my life that kind of filled the role of a dad and taught us about uh, life and good and manliness and the investment in my life. And then God brought a good church into my life. Mm. And then uh, when I went to college, God brought good things along. And then he gave me a wife and Mm. beautiful wife and still the most beautiful thing you'd ever seen in a red scooter, wife (laughs) and wonderful children. Mm. I have three of them and I love two of them. No, I love them all. (laughs) But uh, we just are so blessed week to week. God supplies our needs. He gave us a house. He gave me a ministry. I've been in 26 Mm. countries. He's provided for all these things. Even in COVID, when two-thirds of my meetings were canceled, I just could sit in the front yard. Look at uh, the trees that God gave me in my yard Mm. and the birds that fly and land on those trees in my yard. And look at the blessings that God has given to me Mm. to enjoy. And I remember saying, Becky... My, my little beautiful, most beautiful thing you've ever seen, a red scooter wife, <laughs> and said, I can't wait to see how bad things get so I can see what God does to provide. And I'm not making it up. We were totally at peace. God provided. We have a God who takes care of us, and we're not pretending. He took Amen. care of us. And then I look at my wife. And she said to me, why does God love me so much just a few weeks ago? And I said, God doesn't love you. God loves me. And Mm -hmm. so we just look at all the blessings, and they're there everywhere. And, you know, it's nice to know I'm completely loved by God. And that's what I'm grateful for. But, you know, uh, brother, I I, I don't want to leave here without telling everybody listening, John Mm 3.16, God doesn't just love me. God doesn't just love Becky. No, man, we could praise God forever. I wish I had more time. But I will tell you, God so loved the world 
not just Mike and Becky, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Praise God. Amen. That's exactly right, Mike. And uh, so uh, really our problem is we hold off God's love by our refusal to turn to him. But you're exactly right. Yeah. God would would absolutely love us and, and help us. And it's been great to have you. And I pray that each of you will think about the fact, I mean, Mike's had his share of trials, and yet God has blessed him abundantly. And, and really, it's not because of, uh, of Mike's worthiness. It's because of God's greatness and Mike's willingness to follow the Lord. So Lord bless you, Mike. Thank you. One more thing, brother. Um, when my father took his life, my mother said, this is not the time to get bitter at God. This is the time we need God. Amen. And we turn to God, and God has been so good to us. That's what people need to do. Don't get bitter. Be grateful and turn to God. And if you would, take your Bibles with me and turn to Romans chapter 8. You know, Thanksgiving has traditionally been a time when we give thanks to God for His goodness to us on, the, on meeting our physical needs. And by the way, that's very appropriate. There's nothing at all uh, wrong about that. It, we ought to acknowledge the Lord and His graciousness and His goodness to us in providing for us on a very physical and practical level. Uh, but I'd like to go a little bit different direction this morning and show you from Romans chapter 8, and um, starting at verse 28 and down through the end of the chapter, some things that every one of us can be thankful for, even if there was nothing, no storage, no, no food in the, in, the, in the cupboard. This is something that we can be thankful for at all times. And so uh, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Uh, because it's good to be thankful for physical blessings, but, you know, sometimes we can be blind to the more important matters as well. And so let's take some moments and try to consider that this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together. We've been blessed already with the songs, with the um, opportunity to read Scripture, with being able to pray for each other. And now we ask that as we come to your word, you give us understanding of it and how it applies uh, to our hearts and minds and how we are to live and some things that, Father, when we know Thee, we can grab onto at any time. And um, Lord, for those who may be here this morning that don't know You as Savior, we pray they would understand a little bit of what they're missing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Romans chapter uh, 8, when you get into the last part of this chapter, is um, just uh, one of the greatest parts of, in the Bible. It's all wonderful. It's all the Word of God. But but the, the teachings here are just uh, tremendous in, in laying out uh, the case of how we can be thankful um, and, and uh, joyful in the Lord no matter the circumstances. And how I'm going to break this down is in verse uh, 28 to 30, there are three what I'll call incredible promises. And you can claim these if you're a child of God. Okay? Then when you get to verse uh, 31, you have uh, rhetorical questions, and, and if you don't know what a rhetorical question is, that's fine, because I sometimes would sit there and go, what's a rhetorical question? A rhetorical question is a question that you're supposed to know the answer, okay, automatically. Uh, like, for instance, when I, I was about junior high and I was young, kind of smart alecky, you know, I, we used to say this back in the 70s, you know, when they, somebody asked you something obvious, I would say, well, is the Pope Catholic? You've done that? Have you done that? Something like that. Does King Kong like big bananas? That idea. That's a rhetorical question. Well, one time I did that with my mom. 
she asked me something I thought was pretty obvious, and I said, well, is the Pope Catholic? And she goes, well, yes, he is. So she didn't get it, but anyway. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. All right, Romans chapter 8. Notice if you would start in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And that really is incredible promise number one, and that is that all things work together for good. Now, there's a specific category of people, okay? And I used to wonder this, maybe, maybe you, you haven't, but I used to wonder this, and that is, well, do I love God? You know what I'm saying? Because he says to them that love God. But what I didn't realize is that's actually defining what it means to be a, a believer. To them who are the called according to his purpose, that's the people that love God. And so, if you have Christ as your Savior, you do have a love in your heart for God, and you can, you can bank on the fact that all things work together for good. All things. And that's sometimes hard to swallow, because there, there are events in our lives that we think, there's, there's no way that God can work good out of this thing in my life. Now, I'm not, um, now what's, I'll give you an example. To me, one of the greatest examples of this is, um, uh, and he would not at all mind me talking about this, but it's evangelist Mike Pelletier, who's been in our church on a number of occasions. And I believe he was nine years old, and his dad, who would have claimed to be a believer and, and may, very well may have been, it may have been a situation where, I don't know, there was a chemical imbalance or something going on, but his dad uh, committed suicide in the family house. And Mike remembers as a nine-year-old kid hearing the shot go off, his mother uh, going into hysteric uh, uh, shouts, running up to the bedroom, the door was locked, pounding and then going in and finding his dad dead from a, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And you say, how can God use that for good? Now, again, I'm not saying the choice that his dad made was a good choice. It was not. But here Mike is, he, he doesn't have anything to do with that choice. How can God work that for good in his life? Well, if you remember him telling the story, he's told us this here in this pulpit. He, see, he told us about his pastor. Boy, what a godly pastor he must have had. And this man got him aside and he showed him a verse of scripture which says, God is the father of the fatherless. And he said to him, you don't have a dad. And he said, God is going to be your dad. And Mike talked about different times in his life where he would turn back to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't have a dad. I don't have, for instance, one of them was when he was in college. He didn't have enough money. And he would say, Lord, I need you to provide my needs. I don't have a dad to help me. And God would step in and provide his needs. And so even though, again, it was not a good situation, it was a, it was a sin against him. It was a dad that, that, uh, that, that you know, failed in that regard. And yet, God still used it because Mike knew the Lord, and Mike loved the Lord. And so Mike found God to be the father of the fatherless. I, it was interesting because I remember a number of years ago hearing him preach that somewhere else. Um, and uh, uh, I, I actually uh, was in a classroom uh, a few weeks, probably a few months ago now, 
and a little girl is in there. She's just a little elementary school student. And she says, I have no dad. I have no dad. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? God will be your father. He says he's the father of the fatherless. And she's like, he will? That's true. That's true. And you see, God can turn something evil into good. You think of the, of the, of the account of Joseph. But Joseph knew the Lord. And even though his brothers did a great evil to him, all things do work together for good to them that love God. And as we follow him, we do find that this is, a, this is a thing that does hold true. As we follow him and as we come to know the Lord, he's able to orchestrate even those things that are bad in our lives into something that is actually good in the long run. There's a second promise. Let's keep reading verse 29. And this is really the ultimate good, by the way, that God is working. For whom he did foreknow, that's the, the, uh, that's the uh, us before even our salvation, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, who's, the, who's his son here? That's Christ. He's... What God is doing in working all things for our good is he, is he is using all kinds of different circumstances to conform us to the image of Christ. And by the way, one day, we're going to be free of, of our sin-cursed bodies, and we're going to be free of this sin-cursed world, and we're going, to be, we're going to be perfect in God's presence. I can't imagine that. But that's what he tells us is going to happen. So he said, he, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I want you to think that, that the second great promise that God has given us in this passage is your ultimate destiny is to become like Christ. And God uses a bunch of things to do that. He, um, he uh, encourages Christ-like behavior in our lives through, uh, the, as we study his word, as we, as we grow, as we, as we pray and spend time with our Lord. He, he gives us more and more of his mindset. And so people that maybe in our uh, younger years we have a short temper or we, we're um, uh, short with our wife or our, our children or God begins to work and he begins to change us to conform us into the image of Christ. He, he does that by encouraging godly behavior, but you know what he else? He does it by actually chast chastening us when we do something wrong. That's part of the whole process. Let me show you that. Go with me to Hebrews. Keep your finger here in Romans. Hebrews chapter 12. And look at, uh, if you would with me, at, um, at verse 9 through 11. Hebrews 12, verses 9 through 11. It says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. And those of us that have had earthly parents that would, would, would spank us from time to time, we understand that. It's not something you jump up and down about. You know, hey, hey, woohoo, I'm going back and getting spanked by dad. That's going to be a great thing. You don't jump up and down and do that, do you? It's grievous. Did you ever try, we, I, one time I tried putting books in my pants, I think. Did you, did any of you try that? You might, did you try that? Couldn't figure out how mom and dad could figure that one out pretty quickly. That was one time I might have tried to get in trouble on purpose just to experiment with that, but it didn't, didn't go well. Okay, chastening is grievous, but notice it says, Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When we go through chastening, it results in the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Notice verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Isn't that interesting? The idea is, is sometimes the chastening of God really wears us out. 
Make straight paths for your feet, that that which is lame may be turned out of the way. Let it rather be healed. But follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And the reality is that sometimes we need God's chastening to bring us back so that we're moving more toward the image of Christ and becoming more like him. If you're right there in Hebrews chapter 12 still, um, that really, uh, chapter 13 has this next connection, and that is God's loyalty is eternal. I want you to look at Hebrews 13, 5, and then we'll come back to Romans. We'll see it from Romans. But he says, let your conversation or your conduct be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, and I love this statement, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now think about that. Now go back to Romans chapter 8 and look with me at verse 30. It says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's a wonderful statement. And really what it means is God doesn't drop one of his children. Sees us in eternity past. Calls us to himself. Forgives us. And glorified means he's going to take us to heaven and he doesn't drop one of us. His loyalty is perfect. It's eternal. And, you know, one of the greatest examples um, that is supposed to be in our culture of um, If you're just joining us, you're listening the to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Hopkins Baptist Church. an example of this. Now, back to the message. And so, again, if you have Romans, uh, well, your finger there, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, if you're fast, you can go there. It's toward the back of your Bible, not super far away. Ephesians chapter 5, and I, I'm just going to read the last, I'm going to read uh, three verses back toward the end of the chapter, verse 30 down to verse 32, where he says, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And this is all in the context of marriage, by the way. But now Paul is bringing it into the picture of being part of the body of Christ, of belonging to him. Verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And interesting? This is an example of the loyalty that Christ has for the church, for you and for me. It's not always that way in society, is it? Here this guy was speaking at a woman's club. And he was lecturing on marriage, and he asked the audience, how many of us, uh, how many of the women wanted to mother their husbands? And this one woman raised her hand in the back, and he said, um, why do you want to mother your husband? And she said, oh, she said, I misheard you. I thought you said, how many of you want to smother your husband? <laughs> I thought this was really good. Uh, there was a, uh, uh, this guy, he was visiting uh, 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 some friend's house. And uh, it's in the old days when you had the, the, you didn't have the cell phone, you had the house phone, okay? It's hard to say that's the old days. But anyway, he's visiting this house, and mom gets a call. And it's from her newly married daughter, and her daughter is, um, just had her first fight with her husband. So mom's on for quite a while, and, you know, again, the one couple's visiting, so dad's kind of out with them, and finally mom motions dad, and dad's got to get on the phone. 
And so they talk a little longer, and of course this couple's kind of sitting there, you know, what do we do? But anyway, they get done with the conversation, and, and they, they come back out, and, and it was kind of interesting. They said, um, you know, and, and, and the couple was pretty open about it. They said, well, our daughter just had her first fight with her husband, and um, she said she wanted to come home. And so the couple that's visiting, they said, well, what did you tell her? Dad said this to his daughter, you are home. Good answer. You are home. Yeah, we sometimes forget. And God's love for us is supposed to be pictured by our marriages. I hope that you really work at loyalty in your marriage because it is absolutely a critical thing. Now, we come to our um, five rhetorical questions where there's this assumed answer, okay, or an answer that we should really fully understand. And so let's go to verse 31, and we'll see the first one. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What a wonderful thought. It's kind of how David thought when he's taken on Goliath. You know what I mean? I'm serving the God of Israel. He's not. He's defying the God of Israel. He's endangering our people. He's going down. That's how David viewed it. If God be for us, who can be against us? And that's something to hang on to when you go through life. I can be thankful that when God's on my side, everything's going to be okay. Here's the next one. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Now think about that kind of love. When God sends his own son here and allows Christ to go through what he went through, and not only that, but God himself, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. He punished Christ in our place. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also, with Jesus also, freely give us all things? I just probably whacked that. Sorry, that's a little bit out of focus now. But the idea is, is this. Why? If, if God loved me that much to, to, to send Christ, to lay down his life, to, to sacrifice Christ in my place, why would I think that God would withhold good things from me? Now, I will tell you this. God is not Santa Claus. Okay? So it's not, I'm good this week. You know, give me answers to prayer. God's not Santa. Matter of fact, he does not exist to give you what you want. Sometimes we look at God that way. And it's a very, very immature and foolish way to look at God. He does not exist to give us what we not. The reality is you exist to please him and do what he wants. That's where it's really at. But... Do you recognize, the, have you ever heard that lie in your head? And I think it's one of those things that's so pervasive that we don't even recognize it as a lie. And that is that God really isn't giving you what you really need in life. And you've kind of got to go out of his will to get what, what you want. You've got to do it your way. You know who the first person he told that to? Without saying it directly? Eve. God knows that if you ate that fruit, 
you would be like God's knowing good and evil. God's keeping something good from you. Not giving you what you want. Not giving you what you really, what you really would need. If you, and we think that way. Without even verbalizing it out loud, we think that. And the reality is, if, if I just come back to, to think about the fact of how much God loves me, then I would realize I don't have to scheme and I don't have to go outside of his will in order to have uh, his blessings upon my life. And it's not about getting what I want anyway. It's about having a life that is pleasing to him, that is truly eternally meaningful. Let's go to, to question number three. Who can lay a charge against God's elect? It's in verse 33. If you notice what it says there, it says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now, what he's saying is that no one can justly claim that God is unrighteous to forgive and to save you. Something along the line of, well, you can't save Mike because Mike has done this in his past. By the way, unsaved people do that routinely. Oh, yeah, I know he's going to church now and he says it, but I remember what he did. I remember all the things he used to do wrong. Satan is just that way. God alone has the right, as he says here at the end of the verse, to declare someone righteous. And along that same line, again, let's keep our fingers here, but let's go back to Romans chapter 4. And I want you to um, look at verses 1 to 8. While you're turning there, Let's say that you had made some very foolish financial choices and you fell into debt. And let's say to the place of somewhere around a million dollars of debt. And it's a debt that, that, that there's just no way that you can pay. So you know you've got to start somewhere. You've got to be able to eat. So you, you, you find a job, a very menial job, maybe as a, a working on, um, uh, uh, for a private person who's quite well-to-do. And as you are working for this individual, and you're trying to do a good job, you're, you know it's not going to, your salary's not going to make any dent on the million dollars, but at least you're, you're trying to keep food on the table. Well, your, your employer, extremely wealthy person, they, they you get wind of what's going on in your life and the foolish choices you've made, and they decide without your knowing it to go down and to pay your debt in full. It's all paid. Not only does that person do that, but that person comes to you and says, look, I paid off all your debt, and I know you've been struggling, and, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm giving you a card. It's a debit card for my bank account, and you can use it, and you're not going to tax me. I've got way more than you can spend. You can use it, whenever you need it, to provide for the needs that you have. If you need groceries, if you need a you know, house payment, anything like that, I'm going to take care of you. Folks, this is what God is telling us he did with the sin debt. I want you to look at this. It's Romans chapter 4. We're starting at verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? It's one of the common questions, by the way, I get, and that is how were people saved in the Old Testament? Was it by works or was it by faith? What Romans chapter 4 tells us, it's always been by faith. Always. 
For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. You see, if Abraham could say, well, I, I, I did so many good things. I mean, I was willing to sacrifice my own son out of faith for God. Certainly, I'm in, I'm, I'm in heaven because of all the wonderful things I did. And God is saying, if that was the case, then Abraham could brag to us. And he said, not before God. It'll never happen that way. Verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. See the word counted? That's, a, that's an accounting term. It's the idea of putting it in your bank account. It's the idea of God giving Abraham his own debit card and saying, Look, Abraham, I'm not just going to cancel your sin debt. I'm actually going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to put it in your account. Simply because you believed me. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You see, if you, could, if you could earn salvation, then God would owe it to you. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And there's our word counted again. Your faith is simply God then gives his righteousness to your account. Now, if there's an example of a guy that you would think would have been a righteous guy, and could have lost his salvation, it would be King David. And why would that be so? After he fought Goliath, after he did all those brave things, becomes the king, he then, later in life, unfortunately, committed adultery, murdered the woman's husband. Okay, adultery and murder would be considered sins that you'd think would completely take you out of the, child, the family of God. It's interesting Verse 6, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Let me explain this. He is going to quote Psalm 32, a psalm written by David after David sinned those two great sins. And what God is, and by the way, see the word imputeth there? That's the same accounting word as, as counted up, up, up above. Even as David describeth the blessedness of the man whom God puts into his account righteousness without works. Bless, saying, blessed are those whose sins or iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. It means this, God paid David's sin debt. That's what it means. David wrote this. Verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute or count sin in his account. That's what he's saying. Can you imagine that? Can we not be thankful that God doesn't say, okay, you can't be my child because you failed me. You blasphemed my name. You committed adultery. You were a cruel parent. You were a thief. You committed some horrific crime. You sinned uh, greatly after your salvation. You, can, you cannot be my child. God doesn't say that. He, the forgiveness is real. It's a real thing. And God does give us righteousness. Now, that, again, that's not a license to sin because any of us, well, who've been saved very long, you know this, that when you sin against God, there are very real consequences. Chastisement. There are very real, there's a very real bur burden and guilt of sin and people do get hurt. So it's not a license to do whatever I want to do. And God does chasten his own, as he told us in Hebrews chapter uh, uh, 12 that we were looking at. But I, what I will say is this, the relationship and the love and the loyalty of God does not stop when his children fail. 
Boy, am I glad about that. So, who shall lay a charge against God's elect? So it's better than mere forgiveness, better than going merely from rags to riches. We had a Romans 4 passage that shows us that. Let's talk about question number 5. You find it in verse 34. And um, uh, let's, let's read that one just to uh, get started here. Who is he that condemneth? The idea is this. Who can come and condemn us to hell? Who can say, okay, you can't go. You're not good enough. It is Christ that died. Okay, and If I've entered into a relationship with him, yea, rather that is risen again, which is God's seal that he was the Son of God, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ has been victorious over sin and death. He has died in our place for our sins, and he's actually interceding now before God the Father himself on our behalf. But by the way, that, that tells me something. That tells me my sin really is serious. As Christ extra intercedes for me, it is serious. But thank God that our, Lord, our Lord's love is eternal. It's eternally loyal. Who can condemn you? So imagine, and this of course will never happen, thank the Lord, that you were dying, you died, and you're about to enter into heaven, and Satan steps up and says, you cannot let him into heaven. You cannot let Lane in. Look at the things he's done. The reality is when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins, not just yours. And he paid for all of them. And there is not a person in the universe that can condemn me because God himself loves me and saved me. And he's the judge. And he can justly dismiss my case because the penalty has truly been paid. There's one more question that consumes the rest of the chapter. Who can separate you from God's love? Verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he starts listing some things that um, you'd think would indicate that God doesn't love you. Tribulation or distress. Okay, you're under tremendous pressure. And you say to yourself, well, where's God's love? I, I thought God loved me. Why would he let me go through this? Persecution. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being harassed for my faith. I've lost my job because of my faith. Famine. Do Christians ever... Go through times of, of great famine and starvation. Mm -hmm. Nakedness. Don't have enough clothes. Peril. Danger. Sword. Matter of fact, sword is when you're killed. Christians can die of diseases. Christians can die of persecution. Verse 36 is out of Psalm 44. It's a tremendous... Um, Psalm, I preached it on Sunday night several months ago. It was very um, impactful for me personally when I thought about the fact that Psalm 44 is one of those few Psalms that doesn't have a happy ending. And it's like, God, we have been faithful. 
We don't even know what we've done wrong, and for your sake we're being killed all day long. It's verse 36. As it is written, as he's quoting Psalm 44, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And Christians down through the centuries have been rounded up and have been butchered for their faith. It's happened, and it's happening now. Does that mean that God doesn't love us? Well, look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. It is not that the Christian has failed. It is not that God has failed. That believer is ushered in the presence of God, will rejoice forever for having served the Lord to death. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then look at these great last statements. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. By the way, those are uh, really the, the angels, principalities, probably they're all talking about like the, uh, whether it be an angel or, or a demon. There's not one of these creatures that can separate us from the love of God, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor ev any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you never judge God's love by your circumstances. You know how you judge God's love? By the cross. And you say, what did Jesus do for me? What did God the Father do for me? To sacrifice his son in my place. That's how you judge God's love. Romans 5.8 says God commended or demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So let me just give you some conclusions quickly here. First of all, all things are, we can be thankful, first of all, that all things are working together for good. You don't have to doubt that. You can take that as a reality, Christian. If you know God, all things, and it's sometimes it's, it's a negative thing because God's bringing you back, but it's always working it's to make you more like Christ. Number two, you can be thankful that God is making you into Christ's image. Whom he did predestinate, he, he uh, 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 predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Number three, God's loyalty is eternal. Verse 30 again. When he called, he justified, he takes him all the way home. We can be thankful also that God is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? You be thankful for the fact that God is not withholding what is truly good from you. And they may not be what you want. But by the way, those of us who are parents, do we always give our kids what they want? Not if you're, not if you're a godly parent, you don't. We can be thankful for the fact that no accusation of sin will disqualify you. That you can uh, be a, become a child of God if you will accept him by faith. And when we have done that, our past is forgiven. It's completely paid for. We can be thankful that no one can condemn you to hell. When you've accepted Christ as Savior, your sin debt is paid in full and no person or thing can separate you from God's love. That's a painting of Christians in, I believe it's a Roman amphitheater, being massacred. And what is God saying? He's saying we're more than conquerors. It has not separated us from the love of God. Don't judge his love by your circumstances. Judge it by the cross. How do you apply this? Just give you two things. Number one, if you're saved, give thanks to God for how faithful and loving he is to you this Thanksgiving. And I pray you'll take some time to do that.
And think about that. Lord, yeah, definitely thank God for the physical things. Thank him for provision and food and all of those things. But I'd encourage you, go back to Romans chapter 8 and think that through again. Wow. God, your love is, is, is constant. Your forgiveness is complete. Your righteousness is given to me to access. But if you're lost here this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, let nothing keep you from salvation. Let nothing. Because the reality is, it is such a privilege to be a child of God and to have true purpose and meaning in your life. To have the Lord come and live with you and walk with you through life. That's what we've been given. It is a great, the greatest privilege that God would walk with us. I'd like you to go in closing to Revelation chapter 21. Verses that, that um, I shared this past weekend, we had a, a basketball tournament in here. And the, the uh, theme of the tournament was, I make all things new. And we used Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5 as kind of a, a springboard for our devotionals between uh, games. And um, what a great statement this is. This is where we're headed when we know Christ. Verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Folks, that's the curse of sin in a nutshell right there. Verse 4. There's going to be no more death, sorrow, crying. And notice how he puts it, the former things are passed away. They're going to be gone. That's for the believers. That's for those of us who have accepted Christ. But notice verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. This is actually going to happen. It's going to take place. I pray you'll be part of that. And it's not just coming to church, and it's not just you know singing the songs or whatever, or even teaching a class or preaching a sermon. It's none of that. It's, it's Christ. When you have him, you have eternal life. And if you do not have Christ and you do everything else, you don't have it. So going back to my illustration on, the, on, on getting your debt completely paid, you owed a million dollars, right? Let's say you had a friend. And your friend isn't as foolish as you are. He's foolish. He owes half a million dollars. But he kind of looks at you as, the, you know, you're twice the fool that I was. I mean, you, you, you spent way more than I did. I made a few bad decisions. I only owed 500000 But you tell him. You tell him about your, your rich friend, and your rich friend is offering to help people like, like him. And you say, look, why, why don't you go, and why, why don't, I, I think this guy would help you. I, 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 you talk to your rich friend, he says, absolutely, I'd help this guy. So you come back to your indebted friend, and you say, look, I owed a million dollars this guy helped me. He said he's willing to help you. He'd even, he'd even let you have access to his, to his bank account if whatever needs you have. And the guy says, no, no, no. He says, no, I'm, I'm going to pay my own way out. Now, it may sound noble for us on our level, but when it comes to the sin debt, whether you owed a million or a half a million, you're not paying yourself out of the sin debt. You can't do it. You can't do it. And the person that says to himself, I 
can make myself good enough to, to stand before God on my own two feet. You're not going to make that. You can't. God's already told you that. He said that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. And unless we come through the cross, you don't have forgiveness. And you cannot stand before God in your own righteousness and, and go to heaven. You can't. Jesus, that's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you accepted him as your Savior, if you have, you have all the promises we talked about this morning, every one of them. If you haven't, you have none of them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, the simplicity of it. Lord, the, the blessings are mind-boggling. And, and just like when we think about heaven, we can't imagine what that would be like to be, be in a place where there's no pain, there's no fear, there's no suffering, there's no death. But Lord, you've, you've offered, that you've given us the privilege of becoming your children. You said that offer extends to any who will come. Lord, I pray for any who may be here, and the truth is they, they, they've, uh, in their own way, they've been basically saying, I'll, I'll pay my own way. And it's not going to work. They may be better than I am. They may be better than anybody in this room. But that's not what the standard is. The standard is, is your righteousness. And none of us measures up. Oh Lord, would you please open the eyes of those who need salvation this morning. And for those of us who have accepted you, I pray. I pray that there will be an understanding of these great blessings that we've been given. That we can rest and be thankful for every day. That there is no condemnation when we have Christ. That our sins are completely forgiven. That there will never be a charge leveled against us because the judge of all the universe has forgiven us through his son's sacrifice for us. And that that means that your love is never judged by the circumstances, but always judged by the cross. Lord, give us grace that we might understand these things and that this Thanksgiving we might Rest in these wonderful truths, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. With our heads bowed for just a moment. If you'd like some spiritual help, like counseling or prayer, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you'd like to listen to this message again, the link to our podcast is at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. And everlasting life and light, he frees.